Welcome to the Sunday Morning Message with Pastor Nick Stringer, brought to you from Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. Creekside Church, where the Spirit flows. Good morning again. Today's message is titled, You Can't Serve Two Masters. You Cannot Serve Two Masters, and this is a one-week message on finance. It has come to my attention uh, in recent weeks that um, it would be a good idea to just at least once a year to talk about managing money in a biblical manner. I think that uh, with the way that we're heading and the things that our culture is teaching, particularly future generations, it's very good that we get into the Bible and see what God has to say about finances and how to manage those finances. So, you cannot serve two masters, as Tim just read. You cannot serve God and wealth. B-I-B-L-E. You've heard this. This is not new. You've heard this a thousand times. Basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E Bible. Right? That's what the Bible is. It is basic instructions before leaving earth. This time that we have here is short and precious. And the Bible gives us what we need, the instruction we need to manage our life here in a constructive way, an orderly way, in a godly way, and then prepares us for the life to come. The life to come. Eternity. And so... God has much to say about how we manage his money. Folks, if you trust the Lord with your life and your eternal soul, then you must trust him with money. You must trust him with money. Too often, and I see this a lot from Christians, I'll handle the money, God, you just take care of the rest. It don't work that way. We have to let him in every area of our life. That's what it means to trust. It means to let him and his word have its way in our lives. So before we get started, we're going to take a look at some of these verses. And you can look in your Bibles. If you want to, they're going to be up here on a screen. Now, I'm using this uh, version called the Living Bible, and I don't use this version of the Bible very often. Uh, but for these verses and for this discussion today, uh, it seems to bring the message a little bit more into focus and make it a little bit more clearer. clearer. Now, a lot of these verses are going to be things that you've heard before uh, that maybe you are already doing and maybe you have done for quite some time. But... As we get a little bit further along in our message today, you're going to see that it's going to be more about our perspective and our attitude in managing finances than it is just about reading a verse and saying, hmm, well, I already do that. Because I bet at some point in time you're going to hear something that's going to be a little bit different than the way you may be doing it now. So saving money, right? We all know that saving money is a good thing. Look what it says there in Proverbs 21 21 and all of these verses are on your note card and you can go back and you can look at them later the wise man saves for the future but the foolish man spends whatever he gets right it just burns a hole right in his pocket proverbs 21 5 i love this one 
And I love how the Bible, the living Bible phrases this. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. And what that means is this. Slow, consistent saving over time builds wealth. You're not going to get it all right now. Listen, young people, you're not going to get at the age of 25 what mom and dad have took a lifetime to build. Don't try and do it. You're going to stress yourself out. Steady plotting. Save little by little by little. Brings prosperity. That's what the Bible says. Steady plotting. Hasty speculation brings poverty. That's get rich quick. That's going for that big home run, right? That brings poverty. Okay. How about diversification? You all know it's not good to put all your eggs in one basket. Well, that's a biblical perspective ecclesiastes 11 2 says divide your portion to seven or even eight for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth right hey we live in a very unpredictable world our financial system I, i'm hearing is not uh very stable right the dollar is losing value any moment any time we've seen it with covid what did the market do it went wow and then it went, wow, when things got better. Did this V, didn't it? But people lost thousands and thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars in a week, in a moment. We don't know what misfortune is going to come on the earth. So it's good to diversify, right? Debt. What do we know about debt? Well, the Bible says this. Just as the rich rule the poor, the borrower is a servant to the lender. And that word servant means slave. When we willingly put ourselves in debt, we willingly make ourselves a slave to the one that we have borrowed the money from. Put them handcuffs right on me. Tie that ball and chain around my foot. I need to get me a big old unnecessary loan, right? We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. Gambling. Proverbs 13, 11. We're going to talk about this quite a bit. Wealth from gambling quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. Wealth from hard work grows. Honest wage for honest work. And giving. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there be food in my house. Listen to this language right here. And test me now in this. Not very often does God say test me, right? And Jesus even told Satan in the wilderness, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But this is God saying, I want you to test me in this. Bring the whole tithe, tenth part, into the storehouse, says the Lord of hosts, and see this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. These are some simple things that the Bible has to say about money. So the inspiration for this message came as I watched endless commercials about sports betting and just the bombardment of how our society is pushing and pushing and pushing this. And I thought, wow, how wacky. Here we are, we're trying to teach our children how to save money and at the same time, we're just ripping it right from them with this new sports betting and the, the phenomena that is really just sweeping across this country. 
and how quickly this is happening and the commercials that are being posted with people at famous athletes and things in order to promote this and how intriguing it can be for anyone to just take what has come uh, through hard work and labor and just willingly give it away. Some of these issues are going to hit right at the kitchen table and I understand that but I don't care because it's biblical and we want to manage money God's way and we want to do what God wants us to do. We want to please God and when we want to please God when we love God guess what we do things the way that God wants us to do. We don't just do what we feel because guess what it's not our money it's God's money. He has given it to us for just a very short time and we don't know how much time we have right we'll cover some of these basic applications in our finances but most of the focus is going to be on attitude and perspective because as proverbs 23 7 says for as a man thinks within himself so he is so he is we're going to follow that direction here you know debt can be a heavy burden you know, when I was born again to the Spirit of the Lord, when I surrendered myself to Jesus Christ and I uh, made a commitment that I was going to follow Jesus, you know what he gave me? A spirit of freedom. I mean, I desired freedom. I had spiritual freedom at that point. All of my sins were washed and cleaned away. And I felt so good and so alive that I knew I had made my peace with God and I had cleared. No longer was I spiritually bankrupt, but I had paid for it free and clear. The blood of Jesus was applied to my life. Why? Because I said, Jesus, I love you and I trust you and who you say you are and what you have done for me. I believe that you nailed all my sins to the cross and I believe that you are the master of the universe and you hold the key to eternal life. And I believe that your Bible is word and Jesus, I love you. Can you say that? Can you say, Jesus, I love you? Can you tell anybody you love them? Can you look somebody in the eye and say, I love you? That's the measure of a man. When you can do that. Jesus, I love you. I don't care who hears it. I don't care who knows it. I'm not ashamed. If you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. That's what Jesus said. When you love someone, you remember maybe you had this type of friend who he had that girlfriend. He just didn't want to quite bring around the crowd. He'd always go hang out with her and it was always alone, right? They would go places by themselves, go get ice cream together alone or watch movies together alone. Didn't want to bring her around because he was ashamed of her and what his buddies might say or vice versa. She was ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of Jesus, are you? Are you? Tell somebody you love Jesus. It matters. It matters. When you love someone, you're not ashamed to hold their hand, to be seen with them in public. According to Experian, as of 2021, the average debt for an American is $96,371. Yee-haw. 
So I did a little bit of math here because I was curious. If that was all in quarters, that'd weigh 5,000 pounds. If that was all in pennies, it would weigh 53,000 pounds. Wow, what a load to carry around. Hey, how you doing? I've just got some debt here. Don't mind this. That's a lot of debt. $96,000 the average American has. And so when the Spirit of God entered into my life and really changed my heart, not only did I have this desire for freedom, but I had a desire for financial freedom. No longer did I want to be a slave to the lender. No longer did I want debt. It was just, it weighs on me so heavy, the thought of debt. And to be, not to be able to have that freedom where if God is calling me to do something or asking me to do something, I have to say, well, I can't go because I have to pay my bills. I can't do it, God, because I have to stay here and pay. And I think it's a little comforting for people to put themselves in debt because it gives them this sense of like, well, I know where I'm going to be for the next several years. I'm going to be right there in my job in the same old place doing the same old thing, paying this debt. And I think that's kind of comforting. People like stability. And I think going out and putting themselves willingly in unnecessary debt gives them a feeling of comfort. Isn't that weird? It is. It's the world we live in. It's how we think. And we've been taught to think this way, right? We've been taught to think this way. But God says, no, you know, my spirit is a spirit of freedom. I have freed you from your sin, and I want you to be free from debt too. Why? Because I want you to live this life with no chains. I want you to live this life unhindered. I want you to be a free spirit child of God, and I want you to love freely and know freely. And so as we get into this, I'm going to make a few points here about what it means to Uh, manage finances God's way and the first thing we need to learn and understand is don't believe the lies of the world don't believe the lies we get ourselves in so much financial trouble with this little phrase you only live once what only live once no no you don't Look what the scripture says, Hebrews 9, 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. I got news for you, folks. You don't just live once, you live in eternity, and it's either in one or two places. It's either in heaven or it's in hell. But you live in an eternal state of conscience. Now, if you're a child of God, you go to heaven to be with the Lord. You go to heaven to be with God, and that is where you want to be, in a state of bliss, in a state of comfort, free of pain, free of sin, free of debt. But if we don't know Jesus Christ, we don't have a relationship with him, we don't go to heaven, we go to hell. And there is an eternal state of agony and suffering, separation from God. But it's a conscious state. You see, there are some people that will teach annihilation of the soul. And that's not in the Bible. When you physically die, you don't just fall into this deep sleep unknown. No, you're alive and you're conscious. And if you're separated from God, you know you're separated from God. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There are two places you can go when you die. But you know you're there when you're there. So living once, no, that's a lie. 
You don't just live once. You're going to live forever, and you're going to live somewhere forever. You know, there's a parable in the Bible, and I think it's a true story because Jesus actually uses names. It's between this rich man and Lazarus. Now, when the rich man died, and he went to hell, and he didn't go there because he was rich. It's not a sin to be wealthy, okay? But he went there because he didn't put God first. He didn't love the Lord. And then when Lazarus died, he went into what is called Abraham's bosom, paradise of God. He went to be with the Lord, and he was comforted by the Lord. And the Bible goes on to say, Jesus says that while the rich man was in hell, he was in agony. And he cried out, and he said, please send Lazarus down. Let him dip his finger in water and cool the tip of my tongue. Boy, last night I burnt my hand really bad. I, took, I was making a steak. And I seared the steak on the stovetop, and then I transferred it into the oven for about 10 minutes. It's a pretty thick steak. And I grabbed, and when I was pulling that skillet out of the oven, I grabbed that skillet. 450 degrees, and I seared my hand right here, and that thing burned for about three hours. I had to hold my hand in water. <laughs> you know what I thought about? I thought about this message, and I thought about the agony of what separation and eternal hellfire will be like for those who reject Jesus Christ. This is a message that gets lost in translation today. But you know it just as sure as it's hitting your heart right now that it's a true message. No, you don't always live once and you don't have to put yourself in a bad financial spot by believing that lie that the world teaches us. The other lie is treat yourself you deserve it. You've worked so hard. It's been such a hard year. You deserve to go out and treat yourself. Go ahead. Go ahead. Get that loan. You deserve it. I love, and I've told you this, a Clint Eastwood movie, but Unforgiven, right? That was an older Clint Eastwood movie, Unforgiven. His good friend, Morgan Freeman, was beat to death by Gene Hackman, okay? And Gene Hackman displayed Morgan Freeman's body on the outside of the bar and made an example of him, and Clint got mad, real mad. And he went to that bar with a shotgun, and he was looking for Gene Hackman, and he found him, and he pointed that shotgun at him. And Gene Hackman says, I don't deserve this. And Clint says, deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> deserves got nothing to do with it. You know, we all think that we deserve just a little bit more than what we got. And we deserve better. But the Bible has a little bit different story to say about what we deserve. Now, you would agree that we have all sinned and fall short the glory of God, that none of us is perfect and that none of us at any time has always kept God first place in our lives. We're all guilty. We're all in need of what Jesus has done on the cross. That's why he went and did it, because without what he did on the cross, we couldn't have salvation. He did what was necessary for us to have eternal life. Well, the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death so if you want to talk about deserves and what you deserve well then we need to talk about that 
because that's what we deserve. You know, we have these two friends. Uh, one is named Mercy, and one is named Grace. Now, Mercy means that you don't get what you deserve. When someone is merciful, they don't give you what you deserve. And grace means that you get what you don't deserve. And listen to what this verse says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we are offered eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, not because of anything that we have done. That's called grace. And it's called mercy that he would withhold what we deserve because he, on the cross, took the punishment that you and I deserved because of sin. That's the message of the Bible. That is biblical Christianity 101. That's what you teach little bitty kids right there that's the meat and the potatoes that's what it's all about it's all about jesus and what he did on the cross right that's it so we can't believe the lies of the world that we only live once and that we deserve it you know and this helps us for saving and building wealth if we can not buy into these lies then we'll be able to save our money very well because you know that you're already rich, right? You know that you're in the top 1% wealthiest people in the world if you make simply $34,000 a year. $34,000 a year puts you in the top 1% wealthiest people in all the world. Maybe not in America, but in all the world, they are in the top 1% making $34,000 a year. Proverbs 21, 21, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And steady plotting brings prosperity. Proverbs 21, 5, steady plotting brings prosperity. Second point, we need to commit to being content, contentment. That is going to be the number one thing that is going to face our country moving forward is discontentment. Why? Because you see what other people have, you see what's so easy to get, and you want it. You want those materials. You want to be just like the Joneses. We want to have the other things that other people want. But God says, no, I want you to be content with what you have, and I want you to be content with your circumstances. Now, don't read me wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong to set standards and to uh, have a desire to have better quality of life. That's not wrong, and that's not a sin. Where it gets wrong is when you start making uh, purchases in your life that we simply cannot afford. If we're making $34,000 a year, you should not go out and buy a $34,000 truck or a $50,000 truck or car or probably property that you have to take out a big loan on. You should not be doing that. If you make $50,000 a year, you should not be buying a $100,000 truck. And you might be thinking, they're saying, well, Nick, who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do with my money? And I'm saying, you can do whatever you want with your money, but I'm telling you that God does not want you to do that with your money because he doesn't want you to be in debt. So you can take it or you can leave it. It's not coming from me. It's coming from here. God does not want to see you put those chains around your hand. Now, if you're already in a position, I got good news for you. 
there's a way out. There's a way of escape. It's going to take some time, but steady plotting brings prosperity. And God will bless you in ways that if you will change your perspective and your attitude upon money, God will open the floodgates of heaven and he will rain blessings down upon you. And I will share with you a story about how God has blessed us in our financial life with by committing to some of these promises. We got to commit to being content because we have an identity crisis in our culture. And that identity crisis is this. We wrap our identities in what we do right i'm nick stringer and i work for clean harbors i'm an environmental chemist well no i'm not that's what i do that's what i do it's not who i am and our motto in our company is called we are clean harbors and i said no i'm not i'm not i'm nick stringer by golly and i'm a child of god clean harbors is what i do I'm thankful for my job, but that's what I do. Nine to five, and then I moonlight as a pastor, right? <laughs> this is my passion. This is my passion. Identity crisis, but it's not who we are. We're not, uh, what we do isn't, and that's easy for us to do, you know, because you go somewhere to work and you spend all that time. You spend a lot of time there. You get to know the people real well. You, the job real well and you get your paycheck and so you tie your paycheck to what you do and what you do to your own personality and who you are and folks we are first and foremost as believers in Jesus Christ we are children of God those who have put their faith in him are children of God that's what we are and that's who we are so God wants us to be content with what we have you know it's not this is not like i said it's not a statement against setting goals or having a nice quality of life or quality things we have to look into scriptures and we can see abraham was a wealthy man we can see uh king david was a wealthy man job was a wealthy man uh solomon was the wealthiest man who ever lived in today's money king solomon had a net worth of 2.1 trillion dollars 2.1 trillion dollars if you add up all of the things in the Bible that it says he had and convert it to today's dollars, he was the wealthiest man. But Dave Ramsey says this a lot, and I liked it, and I added it. We need to act our wage. Act your wage. If you're making this much, you can't have Cadillac taste on Chevrolet pay. You can't have caviar taste on a tuna fish salary. You can't do it. Not if you're going to be responsible with finances. We have to act like what we make. And so I make a certain amount of money, and so I try to act like it. I don't try to do things that are too far off for me. It's not easy at times. I'm not saying that I'm up here and I've mastered the art of finances biblically. I'm just saying that I struggle just like you do but I take time and I stop and I consider and that's the only difference between following God's method of money and following the impulses of desires and the flesh is that when a strong impulse and an emotion comes over me, I stop and I say, you know what? I'm not buying this thing right now. Maybe a little week or two go by and will I still want it? And usually I don't. 
Be content in your circumstances. Paul said this in Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So what Paul is saying there is that in high times and in low times, he has been learned to be content wherever he was. Why? Because that word contentment means he has been filled with who God is. God fulfills him in his life. So the circumstances don't get to determine who he is. But his relationship with God determines who he is because he has found contentment in adversity. He has found contentment in being broke. He has found contentment in being rich. Not that he's broken. He says, well, this is all God wants for me. But he's found contentment, meaning that he is fulfilled in his relationship with Christ above all else. And he has that level of contentment. Nothing can dissatisfy him. And discontentment leads to poor money decisions. It leads to unnecessary loans. And it leads to wanting to gamble and to get rich quick. Proverbs 22.7 says this. Just as the rich rule the poor, the borrower is a servant to the lender. You know, I talked about sports betting and gambling. And we talked about uh, how dangerous this is, at least in my perspective. I think it's very dangerous. There are three things, really, that I would never, ever lead any human being to do. I would never let anybody think that it's okay to drink alcohol. Never. I would never let anybody think it's okay to smoke pot or do any kind of drugs. I would never, I would never say that that's okay, and I would never say it's okay to gamble. Never ever would I ever lead anybody to do those things because I have known firsthand just how dangerous they are and I've seen it destroy, destroy families. Right. Don't think that you have your drinking and your gambling under control. You don't because if you had it under control, you could stop it all right now. It has you under control. You are a slave to it. If you weren't, you could just give it all up and it wouldn't affect you not one bit. Go ahead and give it up. No, I think I want to. It's my release. It's what I like to do. I like to go down to the boat every once in a while. Really? You like to go down there and stand in front of that machine and put your money in and pull the lever and have that machine laugh at you? Ha ha, you lose again. That's fun? Huh? I'll try this one. Ha ha. Lose again. Folks, I mean, really, that's what it is, right? Sports betting is getting dangerous. And, and they got these commercials. And the guy, he's looking at his phone. And he says, aha, spread covered. Spread covered, right? He won a little bit of money. And so now he's happy. Well, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you covered the real spread in the real game? Do you have that spread covered? Because you see, God is going to call on your everlasting soul at some point in time. And you know what the big game is? The big game is, do you know Jesus Christ? Is that spread covered? Because it really doesn't mean a whole lot if you covered the game spread. Because what are you going to do? You're going to leave that money behind to somebody else in somebody else's name. And then what are you going to do? You're going to go down and join Lazarus, the rich, or join the rich man, excuse me, in agonizing torment. No, 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 you better cover the real spread of the real game. You better invite Jesus Christ into your life and you better ask him to forgive you of your sins because there's an eternity to be had and it's calling right now. Boy, we have just been smacked right in the face with 
dying. And the reality of losing loved ones. And it just hit me right between the eyes. And time is unpredictable. And it's a very foolish thing to carry on in this life thinking that you're going to have so much time, that we're going to have so much time. And I know we make plans, and I'm just like you guys, you know. I've got my family and my bills to pay and my job. And, but we just don't know, do we? We just don't know. <laughs> and covering the spread on a basketball game just seems to lose all significance when I think about the reality of our situation and the preciousness of time. This morning when I first got to church, I sat in my office and I have a couple of chairs there and I sit in a chair and I take a deep breath and I begin to collect myself and I call on the Lord to um, speak to you people. And as I'm doing that, I hear, There's a clock. It's about that big. Walmart special. Hanging on. I can barely even read the numbers. But it's in there. And I hear it. And that's all I can hear at that time in the morning. That ticking clock. And it just reminds me. Time goes. It's in the past. You don't get that time back. What we have now before us is an opportunity to get right with God and to really change not only the course of our lives financially, but to change our family tree for generations to come. You making a commitment to follow God's plan for money can change future generations that come behind you. And it's something that you want to give them the last point I want to make here is that we need to exercise the biblical perspective of money. Because the unbiblical perspective can lead to greed. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, it's important, it's important to point out that the love of money is not the root of all evil. It's a root of all evil. It's just like anything else. Money is a very neutral thing. It's not evil. It's not good. It just depends on how you use it, right? Just like anything else, how you use it determines what it's going to be used for. It's a neutral tool. And that's a perspective that God wants us to have on money. Not only is it a tool, but we are stewards of his stuff. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. This type of thinking creates a generous attitude within you. When we can say, this belongs to the Lord, he has left me in charge of it to steward it the way that he wants to do it. He wants it done. He is entrusting me with it. There's a parable in the Bible about the manager of the rich man's money. And the manager 
he mismanaged the rich man's money and the rich man came home and he said, you fool, <laughs> you have mismanaged my money. And so he fired that manager. It was because he wasn't a good steward of his money. God has entrusted us with his money this time on earth. And he's asking us to do the things that are right in his. He wants us to advance the kingdom. He wants us to help others. He wants you to save, but he also wants us to be generous givers with his money. He wants us to give. Oh, I know. And there's those people say, oh, here we go. Look, I'm not, I'm not asking you for a dollar. That's not my style, and you know that by now. What I'm saying is this. It's a whole nother level of relationship with God when you say, I am going to trust you with these finances. I am going to trust you and I'm going to go all in. I'm going to share this with you and I don't share it a lot because <clears throat> it's a personal testimony, but this hit me and Amy very hard uh, about 11 years ago. Uh, you know, I was the Christian who was hanging tight to the money. And so I would put in, you know, the $10 bill or I would look at the checkbook. I'd say, I'll give 20 this week. After everything else was done, what's left? And I would put in, okay, well, I can put in 50 this week. That's what I would do. Not hurt our financial situation by giving too much. I began to get really burdened about this. This really hit me hard. I was reading in the scriptures, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and you may want to write this down. Chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. That word tithe, we've heard that word tithe in church, right? We hear it, and we think that it means Give whatever you can that's left over. But God says, no, bring me the tithe. He wants us to give a sacrificial giving. He wants us to give where it hurts because God knows. You know that the Bible has over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. More than any other subject in the Bible except the kingdom of God. You know why? Because we want to hold on to that money. We connect everything about who we are with money. And God knows this, money and possessions. He says, I want to pierce it to the heart. I want to divide it right down the middle. And he says, I want you to give a full tithe. Now, a full tithe is 10%. We were at Dunkin' Donuts in Harrison. It was a Friday night, and we were sitting across from each other. We went, we made out a budget. I said, we need to start tithing, and it was not making sense financially. And I said, if we're going to show that we're going to trust God, we have got to do this or else we're just phonies. And I can't stand up here and preach being a phony. And a treasurer might be calculating the money. Remember, I got two churches now, so I give half here and half to the other church. So I give my full 10%, right, off the top. But we went all in with that. That was 10% before taxes, off the top, a full tithe. It wasn't the taxes, the bills, and then give. It was, no, here's the paycheck, 10%, God. Before taxes. Uncle Sam gets his second after God. Now, that's a decision I made. 
And it has blessed very much. We've never lacked. We've never needed. We've had more than we've needed. And praise God. Praise God. But you have to put him to the test and you have to trust with that. It didn't make sense when I did the budget. It was actually a negative number. It was. It was a negative number. But I did it. We did it. And God came through like he said that he would. And that takes your relationship with God to a whole new level. And I tell you this for one reason and one reason only. I want you to have the best relationship with God that you can possibly have. That is numero uno, all I care about. It's why I stand up here and do this. Nothing else matters but you having a wonderful relationship with God, being free from not only your financial debt but your spiritual debt so that you can live like God has intended you to live. You know, your greatest asset is not the possessions and the money that you leave behind. Your greatest asset is your faith. If we're going to pass something down that's real and lasting, let's pass something down that we use in our everyday life. The only thing, desire, I have for my children is that they know Jesus Christ. If dad doesn't have, mom and dad don't have anything left to give them when we die, I hope that they know they've got one thing, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. They've got God above in heaven, and that is all you need. I've told my parents, I don't want those things, I don't want those things, I don't want those things, I don't need those things. I just want love I want your love I want to give love and I want to leave a legacy of Jesus Christ please forget my name when I die and let people just remember Jesus let's pray Father God in heaven I want to thank you Lord uh, that you have given us everything that we need in this life thank you for laying out these financial principles and I understand that this may have been uh, more, not like a money seminar, but more about the heart attitude and the perspective that we should have on the things that you have blessed us with. Father, thank you for your endless truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message by Pastor Nick Stringer at Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. For more information, you can go to www creekside-church.org find us on the website once again you've been listening to the Sunday message with Pastor Nick Stringer